There is a passage tucked back in 2 Corinthians I want us to read and explore together tonight. Please have your Bible ready at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me set the context. I just don't think the passage we're going to study can be understood without knowing something about the situation the Apostle Paul was in at the time. In the second half of 2 Corinthians, it is obvious the Apostle Paul is under attack, and he needs to respond to the charges against him. Paul wants to respond to criticism not for any personal reason, not out of raw self-defense or pride or shame. Paul's priority is for people to hear the gospel and be taught how to be disciples of Christ. So if you read 2 Corinthians and you have the impression that Paul is guarded or that he seems awkward, it is because he didn't want to sound like he was defending his honor. It wasn't about him. It was about the Lord and the serious work of getting the Lord's message of salvation to people. So his critics attack And Paul doesn't want his response to sound like ordinary carnal boasting. He says things like this in chapter 11, verse 1, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. So that's the context of the second half of 2 Corinthians. Paul must respond to the critics, but not for his sake. Rather, because the critics were deceiving people and attempting to turn people away from the gospel. The urgency and detail of Paul's response comes out of his priority for people to hear the gospel without distraction and for Christians to be taught and strengthened in the faith. Now we are there, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 10. I must go on boasting Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses 
so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. As this chapter opens, Paul says, I must go on boasting. Now, what you hear there is the reluctance I made mention of earlier. There is a reluctance that you hear in these words in this context, almost sarcasm. Modest people don't like to talk about themselves in a way that might sound boastful. If someone asks you, tell me all the great things you've done, that's kind of embarrassing. Or if you are under attack and you have to defend yourself and recite your credentials and call witnesses to speak on your behalf, modest people find that sort of thing disconcerting, uneasy, and awkward. But Paul has to do it because of the stakes and the consequences of letting the apostleship be refuted. His incentive is not himself. He wants people to hear his message undistracted by these charges. He wants it well known that the apostles of Christ are trustworthy and not guilty of deceiving people. So he says, all right, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Paul had been caught up to the third heaven, into paradise. He had heard things so extraordinary, he said, man may not utter. Paul speaks of himself in the third person, on behalf of this man I will boast. He doesn't really want to talk about all this. The critics have compelled him to speak of these privileges. His contact with God and divine things as an apostle has been questioned. So his approach reflects modesty combined with urgency in the interest of the gospel. And I want to tell you, I cannot give you detailed commentary about all this. I can explain exactly how all this happened. Paul's purpose is not in this passage to disclose everything. What is clear is he was given this great privilege by God, not given to everyone, and this was part of his role as an apostle of Christ. God, you see, didn't give Paul these privileges as ammunition to boast. No, Paul had to talk about this because the work of the Lord through the apostles was being questioned and denied. So, to keep Paul from conceit about all this, God allowed Satan to send something. And we read about that in verses 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me and to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with 
weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. At this point in the text, let's be honest now. At this point in the text, what do we want to know? We want to know exactly what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, right? We are often inclined to beg for details not revealed. What was this vision all about? We want a video. Exactly, specifically, what was this thorn in the flesh? Let me ask you this. If I could give you a perfect answer, if I could cite sources and define Greek words in such a way to tell you exactly what the thorn in the flesh was, would you be uplifted to a new height of joy and zeal to serve the Lord? Would you be able to be a better Christian this week? Would it really feed your soul? Would it make the reality of heaven all the more clear to you? No, it would only satisfy our curiosity. And I'm telling you, I can't even do that. I don't know. Paul doesn't tell us specifically what this thorn in the flesh was. It was apparently painful. It pertained to his flesh, his body. Speculation just wouldn't provide us with any gain. Here's what's important. Why God allowed Satan to do this to Paul? No speculation is needed about that. Paul says to keep me from being conceited. Now, that's something we can talk about. When we perceive we have been granted high privilege, there can certainly develop in us a tendency to become conceited. Let me say that again. When we perceive we have been granted some high privilege, there can certainly develop in us a tendency to become conceited. That means to think more highly of ourselves than we should, and then to exalt ourselves in pride above our fellows, thinking that we are better than others. It has often been observed a preacher's worst enemy is pride. And if a preacher considers himself exempt from that temptation, it is worse. Paul was not only well-known and well-used by God as an apostle, he had these mysterious privileges written about here in verses 1 through 6. It was determined Paul needed something to keep him from the self-elevation that might creep into his attitude, to keep him from becoming conceited, arrogant, or inordinately boastful. Now, what do we do when there is something in our flesh that is uncomfortable? How do we react to pain? Let's talk about that a minute. I mean, besides taking pills and going to the doctor and all of that, we pray, and it may not be a lengthy kind of prayer. It may simply be, Lord, please take this pain away. And we want that to happen immediately. Paul was like us in that regard. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Paul had a strong constitution. He put up with a lot, but this hurt really bad. He prayed three times asking if this could be removed. God answers the prayers of his people, right? 
2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here is the heart of this passage for us. Here is the spiritual meat for us to consume. Not what the thorn was, not probing into those visions and revelations that we haven't had. For us, reading the text today, this is the lesson. This is the takeaway. This is the heart for us. 9 and 10. God says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul said, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Sometimes God says to his people, I'm not going to remove the problem, but I'm going to give you the strength to live with it so that even in your weakness, the power of Christ makes you strong. Now, that helps me, and it helps you. Often, I think we want to tell God what to do and when to do it. We not only tell him our problem, we want to tell him which solution we want, which remedy we want, and how soon we want it. We are afraid to just leave it up to him, maybe. We may pray for specific amounts of money. We may tell the Lord just how many days we give him to answer. Perhaps we specify too much to the point we are commanding God to listen to us and apply our solutions from his staging area, but according to our demands. Paul acted very naturally, asking God to remove the thorn. The answer was, I'm not going to do that, Paul, but I'm going to do something better. I'm leaving the thorn and giving you the power to deal with it, which will demonstrate the power of Christ in you. And I think the assumption here is Paul is saying, I'm okay with that, God. So I want us to listen again to verses 1 through 10 in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul said, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, 
so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Consider What does this passage do for us? What instruction, what value, what do I take from this? The point for us today is not to know all about the third heaven or whether or not Paul was in the body or out. The value of this is not that we get to speculate about what the thorn in the flesh was. Commentators write page after page about it. If we settled all that with objective assurance, it wouldn't make us stronger or closer to the Lord. No, The value of this experience for Paul, the value of this experience of Paul for us today is what we learn about God's gracious responses to our petitions and his superior wisdom. God always hears his people pray. It can be said God always responds. Sometimes his responses are not exactly what we ask for. But we can, for the sake of Christ, live with and even grow stronger through the grace God always provides for his people when they're hurting. Grace whereby we can push through the distraction of pain. Grace that enables us to endure and grow stronger even when our bodies hurt, are diseased and frail, or when our minds are racked with anxiety. Here's a point I want to make strongly. Despite what Satan may intend, God can use whatever hits us to keep us humble and at the same time make us stronger. I'll say again. Despite what Satan may intend, God can use whatever hits us to keep us humble and at the same time make us stronger. Paul did not find his ability to cope with difficulty in his own stoic self-sufficiency or his own manufactured strength. God, through Christ, gave Paul the power to endure, to continue undistracted living for Christ and delivering his message. That's what Paul needed. We take the greatest comfort in knowing how God is able to provide what we need in wisdom far superior to what we have here on ground level, to keep us strong and in our weakness be able to exhibit the strength God provides. Well, I'd love to say at this point, let's be standing as we sing. We're not there yet. We can pray. We can be receivers of God's strength until we meet again. Thank you.